Good morning. Am I on? We're good. Cool. Shalom. That wasn't very good. Listen, the first service was rowdy. So, shalom. Excellent. Does anybody remember me from like two or three years ago? All right. A handful. That's good. So for those of you who don't remember me, my name is Ryan Karp. I'm a missionary with Chosen People Ministries. We've been around for 126 years. We're in 19 countries. We reach Jewish people with the gospel. And I, I think it, I have to say that because there are a lot of organizations that teach about the Jewishness of Christianity, and those are wonderful. But not only do we do that, we actually reach Jewish people with the gospel. So when I go home, all week long, I'm talking with Jewish people, I'm organizing outreaches, thinking of different ways to talk with Jewish people, discipling new believers. Um, and I'm a missionary of the Jewish people. If you ask my wife, when I'm in a room and there's another Jewish person, all I'm doing is asking the Lord, how do I talk to them? That's it. Uh, so I, I feel like I have to say that. But my heart and my burden is to reach my people with the gospel. Um, I was raised in a sort of a secular Jewish home, but I came to faith when I was 10, shortly after my dad. And my, fa uh, my father in heaven radically changed my life when I was uh, a teenager. And uh, by the time I was 19, I got a calling to reach Jewish people. But it happened in a sort of a funny way. I um, was getting back on track with the Lord as a sophomore in college, and I went on a trip to Israel with other Jewish college students because it was a free trip for Jewish college students. Uh, about four days in, I offered to someone I believe in Jesus, and that is a big problem. Uh, and so out of the 100 people on our trip, two of us were kicked off. They didn't tell me why I was kicked off, but it was pretty obvious why I was kicked off. Ironically enough, my parents would live two uh, buildings down in Jerusalem uh, about 10 years later. <laughs> but uh, the other person that got kicked off had to have his stomach pumped because he was in danger of alcohol poisoning. So, Christian, anyway, uh, I get home and my father asks, are you angry at them? And I said, Dad, it never occurred to me to be angry, but there's one thing I don't understand. Why in the world would my people reject me? Because I was more Jewish than most of the kids were. They were pretty much agnostic at best. I knew more about the scripture. I knew more about Judaism. Why would they reject me? And that was my burning bush experience where I realized my people didn't reject me. My people rejected their savior. And my heart broke into a thousand pieces. And I decided that the Lord wanted me to reach my people with the gospel. I didn't know what that meant, except I needed more training. So I went to Bible college and then seminary. And then immediately after seminary, seminary, I started full-time raising support to be a missionary with Chosen People Ministries. And I've been doing that for almost 14 years. I met my wife through the ministry. We have three wonderful children. Benzie is seven. Ben Zion is my grandfather's name, son of Zion. Um, Josiah is four. And Talia is a year and a half. And they are wonderful. And my wife, Jessica, is probably at church as we speak. So I'm sorry I didn't get to bring them. It's a two-and-a-half-hour drive. So... Um, but I am happy to be here with you. That's a little bit about myself. Let me pray and then we'll begin. Our Father and our King, we praise you and we honor you. I thank you so much for the heart of this church once again, like I did earlier this morning, because Lord, it is not often that I get such an incredible introduction and welcome um, by people who understand your word, who crave your word, and who uh, put it in their hearts, even to the point where they say Jewish people need salvation and we need to be a part of that. So Lord, I ask as you said in Genesis to Abram that you would bless those who bless the Jewish people. I ask that you would bless 
this church in particular, that they would be a light not only to the nations, but to this town in particular. In your son's holy name, ah, Lord, please bless the words today. Please bless uh, what we're going to read and help us to discern. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, it was one of the most amazing immersions I had ever seen. Um, probably because of the location, but also because of the person being ours. We're on the shores of Lake Michigan in a private backyard. Can you imagine a private backyard on Lake Michigan where you can go swimming and kayaking, but this wonderful Christian uh, couple allowed us to use their backyard so that Jared, a 32-year-old Jewish guy who grew up Jewish and knew that it was not okay, according to his family, to believe in Jesus, could be baptized. Why? Because Jared had recently come to faith. And so I had the privilege of being a part of his immersion. And now, even to this day, which is, it was only a few, uh, a few weeks ago that this happened, I'm actually getting to disciple him. And so Jared is there, and he brings two of his friends. One Catholic, pretty sure not a believer. Uh, the other one Jewish, definitely not a believer. So he shares his testimony as the water is lapping on the sand and I can't think of a better way for these two guys uh, to hear the gospel. And then on top of that, I'm, I'm there with my staff because I'm the Chicago director and the Midwest director, and we're celebrating with Jared. And have you ever, you ever seen somebody who's come to faith recently and they share their testimony? They don't know the Christian jargon yet. So they share it in colorful ways. And I love that about it because it's so raw, but it's so real. And so he shares his testimony, and he, realized, he says, there is no other way that I can get to God except through the Messiah, Jesus. And then it's freezing cold because it's, um, you know, it's Lake Michigan. Uh, even in the summer, it's freezing cold. And, it, it, you know, they always wear a white shirt for some reason. So you can see through the white shirt. But he gets dunked, and he comes out, and we're all cheering for him, and the, and the friends are asking questions. And so now as I'm discipling him, the holidays came up. Now, you might think, what holidays? The Jewish holidays. Big deal in his house. His mom and his dad celebrate or observe, depending on which holiday it is, the Jewish holidays. And he goes, so I haven't told my parents I believe yet. And I go, yeah, I, I realize that. That's a typical thing in Jewish uh, coming to faith stories. He says, but how do I celebrate these holidays with my parents because I want them to know Jesus also? And then he said, what do they mean to me now, now that I believe in Jesus? Because he says, I'm still a Jew. I'm still Jewish. Can't take that away. What do they mean to me now? And that's kind of where I want to start here, because uh, Jared has had an amazing time being able to share some of the things he's learning slowly with his mother and his father and his brother. But what in the world do the holidays mean to you? Because if you've never even heard of the holidays, you're going to experience something new. And maybe if you've heard of them, but not really delved deeply into them, you're going to experience, experience something new today. So turn with me to everybody's favorite book, which is, Josh, what is it? What's yours? Nope, not that one. Not that one. <laughs> Somebody else. Isaiah, close. Leviticus. All right. So everybody go to Leviticus. Chapter 23. Um, and what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through the, what we call the fall holidays. I'm going to give you a brief snapshot, and forgive me 
if I speak a little bit quickly, I want to get you a lot of information in a short amount of time, okay? But I want to share these for two reasons, okay? Number one, I hope that what we talk about this morning will give you more faith in God because of the faithfulness of God. In other words, I think that because God is faithful to his word and nothing is haphazard in the scripture, that means we can trust in him even more. Because if we have a God in whom we cannot trust, I don't want to put my faith in that God. Number two, I want to break your heart for my people. Because these holidays are the most important time of the year for any Jewish person who actually considers their sin status before God. Why? Because when you tell somebody else how your sins were forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's pretty simple. But when a Jewish person says that, well, what I have to do is um, I have to like be good and I have to give to the poor and then I have to confess and then I have to go to synagogue at least four times during the year. Only four, by the way. At least four times of the year. And by the way, I have to pay for tickets to go to those services. And then I beat my chest and I say prayers, but they're all in Hebrew and I really don't understand them. And the rabbis tell us, well, we hope that he'll give us mercy because we fast. That's not as simple. It's also not very biblical. So I hope to break your hearts for my people, demonstrating the depravity of the situation because my people desperately need to know Jesus. But through these holidays, we get to share Jesus just as I was talking to you about how Jared is able to share with his mom and dad about the Savior that he has found. Leviticus 23 gives us a snapshot of a year in the religious life of the Jewish people. It lists all of these holidays or holy days that they were supposed to come together and meet with God, okay? Now, sometimes we call them the Jewish holidays, but look at uh, Leviticus 23, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, the, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. These are not Jewish holidays. These were God's holidays. They were meant so that Jewish people would put the Lord in the focus of their lives. Okay, so what happens is we're given these holidays, they're separated by the spring and the fall, and in the middle of those two is the harvest time. The spring holidays, and here's what you're going to see, I'm going to tell you. You're going to find out that the holidays were actually a good thing so that they could focus around the Lord. But they're also incredible to us today because you'll see that it wasn't just a year in the religious life of the Jewish people, but actually it's God's timeline and history. Because what you're going to see is that the spring holidays were actually prophetic of how God would work in our lives. The spring holidays have actually been fulfilled as if they were prophetic by the work of Jesus. Then we have the harvest, and then we have the fall holidays, which we just went through uh, in the last month. And they are actually prophetic, but have not happened yet. Do you need me to stay in the camera? Sorry. Okay. Okay. So, to give you an idea of that, let me give you a very brief rundown of the spring holidays, okay? The first one, starting in verse 4, we're actually skipping the Sabbath, it's actually considered a holiday, but the, the first one of the year is the Passover. Passover, if you remember, celebrated when God brought us out from Egypt with, through Moses because of that tenth plague prescription that God gave. Remember, the perfect lamb had to be slaughtered, blood in a bowl, painted on the doorpost, and that night when the Lord came down to smite the firstborn of Egypt during the 10th plague, he would what? 
pass over you, right? And you would go from slavery into freedom. It happens the exact same way with our souls. If we apply the blood of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to the doorposts and lintels of our hearts and souls, that God passes over us because we have the identity of the perfect Lamb. And we go from what the Bible says, slavery and sin, to freedom in Christ. And by the way, that message, which is a whole message that I deliver, and I'm pretty sure that was the first one I came for, that was the message that led my father to salvation. Because Passover is so uncanny, uncanny it can't be a coincidence. Second, the holiday of first fruits, verse 9. Nobody knows about this holiday, and most Jewish people don't know about this holiday, but the holiday of first fruits happens on the day after the Sabbath, after Passover. So, what day is the Sabbath? Saturday. What day is the day after the Sabbath? What happened on the Sunday after the Passover where Jesus was crucified? He rose from the dead. We call it Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. Still good? Okay. We call it Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, but Jesus rose on a holiday called First Fruits, and the New Testament calls him the first fruits of the resurrection. It's not a coincidence that he rises on that day. Because the first fruits holiday, we raised our first fruits from the field knowing that God would bring more after that. If Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, that's our promise that there will be more resurrection to come. In fact, that's what separated the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You guys knew that, right? The Pharisees believed in resurrection of the dead because they read the entire Old Testament. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books. They say it doesn't. That's why they were... Pastor Joe, great teaching. This is... Super duper. All right. So that's the first fruits. Not a coincidence that he rises from the grave on a Jewish holiday. Fast forward, there's the Feast of Weeks in uh, verse 15. We call it Shavuot, but in Greek it was called Pentecost. Have you heard of Pentecost? Yeah, Jewish holiday, not a Christian one. Pentecost was the day that we celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai because roughly 50 days, which is when Pentecost happens, Penta, 50, when Pentecost happens, 50 days after they leave Egypt, they go to Mount Sinai, God gives Moses two stone tablets, and that's the Ten Commandments. Well, on this same day, what happened in Jerusalem after Jesus was crucified, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven? God gives the Spirit. So on one hand, you get the law written on stone tablets. On the other hand, you get the Spirit written on your heart and soul, which is what God always promised Look at Ezekiel 36 and 37 to see that promise that God will give us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. So that's an idea of how the spring holidays have been fulfilled by the work of Jesus in God's plans in history. Then we have the harvest time. Nobody does holidays because everybody's out in the field working. It's an agrarian culture, okay? Then we have the fall holidays, which is where we start. Look at verse Leviticus 23, verse 23. Chapter 23, verse 23. Now, this is all it says in this chapter. It gives a little bit more about sacrifices a little bit later, but this is all it says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest. See, these holidays were considered a Sabbath as well. A memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. That's all it says. What are we supposed to do? Just walk around the city and blow trumpets? I mean, that would be noisy. Um, and today in Jewish culture, what we do is if you are somewhat religious or you consider it a tradition, you go to the synagogue the evening of Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets and the morning of the Feast of Trumpets. And here's what 
in the absence of a temple and sacrifice, because that's where Judaism find is, finds itself, and because we don't believe in Jesus as a people, not me, I believe in Jesus, but because as a people we don't believe in Jesus, we've created ways to sort of ingratiate ourselves toward God in hopes that he forgives our sins. This is what rabbis say. God opens two books on the Feast of Trumpets, the Book of Life and the Book of Death. By the way, this book, not in the Bible. Book of Life's in the Bible. They say, if you are immediately righteous, you're written in the Book of Life for one year. If you are immediately wicked, Book of Death for one year. But most people fall in neither, so God closes those books for 10 days. During that 10, day, 10 days, it's called Yomim Noraim, the days of awe, you have, you have the ability to apologize for the wrongs you've done, ask for forgiveness, give to the poor, do a little service, and confess your sins. In hopes that when he reopens those two books on the next holiday that we're going to talk about, you will be written in the book of life because your good deeds have outweighed your bad deeds. Is that in the scripture? No. The book of life is, but that's a very convoluted way of describing it. So, it's really important to understand how trumpets were used. And this is a much longer Bible study, but if you look in the Old Testament specifically, you will see very specific uses of ram's horns and trumpets. Specifically, to praise God, to celebrate, and to announce the coming king, to herald the king. Well, I believe this will be fulfilled in the future as well. So turn with me from Leviticus to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. Now I say then, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. That means that sin cannot be a part of God's kingdom. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This is what we often call the rapture. Okay? There is a moment coming when you will hear the loudest, most amazing trumpet blast. And I think some fantastic things will happen. But for a further description, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, verse, let's start in verse 14. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring him, bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. That means those who have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, those dead in Christ will rise first, then those who are alive. This is what happens. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the picture is this. You hear wonderful music on the stage, right? 
But imagine if you hear the heavenly chorus with the heavenly trumpets of God, and you look up, and what do you see but what Daniel describes in Daniel chapter 7, and Jesus alludes to uh, often, you will see the Son of Man riding on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And I presume that's the exact moment the trumpet sounding, the dead rising, raised to incorruption, corrupted, but now incorrupted. For those who have put their faith in Christ, their soul has been made incorruptible, but our bodies are still corruptible, which is why we still suffer from disease and depression and fear and pain. But there is coming a day when incorruption happens and we will rise and meet the Lord in the air. I believe that's when the trumpet sounds because it is celebrating the Lord. It is making sure that people fear the Lord. It is announcing the coming of the King of Kings. So then the next holiday is the Day of Atonement. This is the most holy day in the Jewish calendar. In antiquity, this was the day that the high priest really did his thing. It was the only day he was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. The only day. And so two goats were brought before him after he had done his cleansing and put on special white garments. They would cast lots for the goats. One goat would be the scapegoat. He would be sacrificed. The other goat would be the Azazel. He would be, it's called the Azazel. It's not a really great name, but it's just, that's what it's called. He would be led away from the city. They would tie a red ribbon to his horns. And we are told by the rabbis that when God accepted the sacrifice, that that red ribbon turned white. Remind me of that later. So, um, the high priest makes the other goat the sacrifice, takes the blood into the Holy of Holies, sprinkles the blood all over the Ark of the Covenant where the stone tablets are. And this was a special day because on this day, that one man, that high priest, who, by the way, had to make atonement for himself before he could make atonement for the rest of the, the nation, that one man made atonement for the entire people. Okay? If that doesn't sound familiar, you're not thinking. So, it was a really, really important day. If he did anything wrong, there is fear that he might be smited or smote or whatever the past tense would be. Now, what do we do today? Well, the Day of Atonement follows those 10 days where we're supposed to do good things and correct our wrongs. So God, so the rabbis say God opens those two books in hopes that we can be written in the book of life for another year. We fast, we pray, we attend the synagogue for hours, we beat our chests, symbolizing that we actually think we need punishment for our sins, but asking God if he'll simply have mercy and forgive us and pardon us. One group of people, one religious Jewish sect, sect actually makes sacrifices, okay? If you look up on YouTube, Kaparot, K-A-P-P-A-R-O-T, K-A-P-P-A-R-O-T, you will see, and Kaparot means atonements, by the way, there is a group of Jewish people, they're very, very religious, they will sacrifice chickens. They will wave it over their heads, say a prayer, and say, this uh, chicken is, is my sacrifice that I require for the forgiveness of sins. Interestingly enough, by the way, if a woman is pregnant, they, they wave too. Kind of interesting. But they are a very small group of people. Kaparot, okay? 
So what does God have in mind with this holiday? Remember, I told you this holiday is about national atonement, national forgiveness of sins. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. So the situation is this. Everybody's, <laughs> all the Christians, all the people who put their faith in Christ have risen from the grave and after those people, all the people who were alive had literally started floating and met the most amazing thing that anybody has ever seen in the air. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords, coming with the hosts and the armies of heaven when, with the sound of trumpets. So what happens? I bet you everybody around the earth have incredibly strong responses. Only two, though. One, he's the Messiah. Two, I still fight against him. That's it. Look what it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 20, starting in verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own understanding, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. That means most of the Jewish people don't recognize Jesus. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to get them to recognize Jesus, but God through Paul, understands that he is working mostly with non-Jewish people, which is why the church, look at this room, mostly non-Jewish people. But blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there is a point in history, and it hasn't happened yet, when God will say, okay, I'm ready to keep going now. Because he's worked, and as, as the Lord wills, I mean, I love the fact that Pastor Josh was up here saying, hey, we're doing outreaches. It's, listen, while everybody else is celebrating fear and terror and scariness and the occult in Halloween, what are you going to do? You're going to bring them to church. Make something that, uh, that, that was meant for evil into wonderful. Um, but, until, but when God is done, when God has said, okay, I'm ready to continue my plan, it says this, verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant when, with them when I will take away their sins. So at some point in the future when God has said, okay, I'm done with the Gentiles, I'm done with the nations, the church that has come to faith, this is the culmination of what I wanted. Now it's time to save the Jewish people. So I imagine there is a mass conversion. There is a mass coming of faith when the Jewish people look up and they see Jesus and they go, the Christians were right. And like Thomas, who doubted, who had to see the holes in his hands, in Zechariah chapter 12, it says this, God speaks and he says, they will look on me, which by the way, I love showing this to Jewish people, because it says that God has a body, which Jewish people do not believe. God says in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, they will look on me whom they have pierced, whom whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. I think they're mourning because they recognize their own sinfulness. They're mourning for their family who didn't recognize Jesus before they passed away. And they're mourning because it's finally time. We, we missed it all along, but now we can turn to him. Uh, it says a couple times when Jesus returns and uh, when the Messiah comes in the Old Testament that there would be mourning. And I imagine it's because we didn't recognize him initially. In fact, there's a joke uh, of one of the Jerusalem mayors when asked by a journalist, when the Messiah comes, what will you say to him? And the, the mayor says, I'll actually ask him a question. I'll ask him, is this the first time you've been here? 
Because as you understand, Jewish people don't believe in two comings of the Messiah, but one. So I believe that there will be a mass coming to faith of the Jewish people. Now, this is where Revelation 12, which you guys talked about last week, actually comes into play. What happens after Jesus raptures people, after Jewish people come to faith, is the tribulation. So no wonder the Jewish people, who have all come to faith in Jesus, need to be preserved in the wilderness. And I think it's very astute that we recognize that the woman is not some metaphorical being. It's the Jewish people. I've actually heard teachers say, oh, well, this woman uh, represents Eve, or this woman represents Mary. Not even close. It's the Jewish people. And this is what's hard for some churches to understand. Most churches are not like yours. I don't know if you're aware of that. Most churches don't have any clue about the Jewish people. Most churches think that the Jewish people are done because they rejected Jesus, that Jesus now rejects them. Let me tell you, if that was the case, I would reject Jesus too. Because that means he's not faithful. That means he doesn't keep his promises because he promised to preserve the Jewish people and to save them. Churches have a hard time understanding sometimes that God can love the church, Christians, okay, and also love the Jewish people, most of whom, who, most of whom have not accepted Jesus as their Savior. There is no other way that Jewish people can get to God except through Jesus. But God is still working with Jewish people today, and I can testify to that because I'm standing in front of you. If God wasn't working with Jewish people today, the amount of nations and people that have tried to annihilate us, somebody would have succeeded if it wasn't for the Lord acting on our behalf. And yet my people think it's because of our own ingenuity and fortitude. It is foolishness. It is because the Lord of hosts fights for us, even when we don't know it. Lastly, we have the holiday of the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. The Feast of Tabernacles commemorates a time when we dwelled with God in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, we look on that time and we think, that's not a great time, because <laughs> we didn't get to the Holy Land, right? For 40 years, the people who came out of Egypt, we were saved, great, but because of our disobedience, we never actually entered the land of promise. But on the other hand, it was a glimpse of the future because we dwelled with our Savior, God was in the middle of the camp. It said there was a, a cloud pillar by day, so we knew God was with us, and a fire pillar by night, so that we knew God was with us. And when that pillar moved, we knew God wanted us to move. And in the desert, fire at night is very important because otherwise you cannot see. It's very dark um, in the desert. So what in the world happens here as far as the future? Because remember, this is the timeline of God's history. Well, as this is the last holiday in the calendar... This is really the last thing that God needs to do. Because if it's a glimpse of us dwelling with God and God dwelling with us, then that sort of gives you the answer. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. That's um, somewhere after Genesis. Now I saw a new heaven, this is 21 verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold the tabernacle, right? Feast of Tabernacles. 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The whole idea of tabernacle is not just a physical setting. It's a being. It's actually being with somebody or being with God in this, in this circumstance. You could actually use tabernacle as a verb. So he t- it says that of Jesus, he tabernacled among us. The Lord literally was in our midst. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. It's so simply said because if you tried to describe it, you just overdo it. It's a time when there is no schism between God's creation and our Father. That's it. We are completely one, sort of similar to what happened between Adam and Eve before the fall. We walk with him in the cool of the day. And so that you know, God is fulfilling promises. Uh, John sort of brings up this concept from the book of Isaiah in verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and they shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, nor coronavirus. For the former things have passed away. But reality is that's what's going to happen. There's not going to be any depression. There's not going to be any suicide. There's not going to be any diabetes. There's not going to be any fear. No more irrational behavior. Nothing. Because the Lord is in our midst and we are incorruptible. Look at chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river. By the way, if you wanted to see that, it's Isaiah 25 that that references. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Look at verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. In the similar way that this is the last holiday culminates the year, This is the last thing that God needs to do because eternity will be blissful in God's presence. We got a glimpse of it after we left Egypt, but it wasn't really what we wanted. This will be what we want. Now, this is a tragedy for my people, but it's also a blessing for my people. Why? Because it's there in the scripture. We can show it to them. We understand, and frankly, because of this, I have more faith. I don't think the stuff I I, I said was made up. I think it's there in the scripture and it bears out true. In fact, I had a Jewish woman this week who I am desperately trying to reach, but she she keeps she keeps criticizing me, even though I'm trying to help her, and then she reaches out to me. She said, Oh, you you're you're blind faith. I go, Oh, dear. She's she's seven. Uh, so it's a term of endearment. I said, My faith isn't blind. My faith is because of evidence. Faith that is blind doesn't make sense to me. She says, what? Because she says, well, all Christians are, are stupid and blind. And, and they put faith in things just because they... I said, no, 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 no. Christians are not... They don't have blind faith. They have evidence-based faith. And she's like, well, what are you talking about? I said, I can tell you numerous things that have happened in my life that give me faith in God, I think, that are too coincidental to be coincidence. I said, I can show you things in the Bible that have happened. And even though they were said thousands of years before... I said, don't you understand? I could show you so many things that all of that evidence mounts up to a conclusion. And that conclusion is God is greater than I am, but he absolutely adores me and you. And I should put my faith in him because I'm not smart enough to know 
as much as he does. I have enough faith to follow him, but not enough understanding to be greater than him. This is the challenge that I face with my people. So right now in Chicago, we have had to change things. We had to cancel an event this week, unfortunately. I'm trying to reschedule it uh, to a different location, but because Chicago is not allowing meetings over six people. So we have definitely um, pivoted, and the Lord is still blessing us. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, meeting with individuals, discipling new believers. Pray for Jared, who's a new believer. Pray for Stu, who's a new believer. Uh, Stu actually is getting immersed as we speak in Boston, but I've been discipling him for the past four months because uh, he came to one of my Bible studies and he was saved. And um, and I told him, you know, when you get immersed, your mom's going to ask you, did you get immersed? And he goes, funny, you should ask. I told her I was going to church. And the first thing she asked me was, did you get immersed? I said, see? I said, but Stu, it's the most Jewish thing you can do. He goes, really? I go, oh yeah, immersion's a total Jewish thing. And so we went through a Bible study. So pray for them because their, their families need to know. And we're still reaching out. We're doing a lot more neighborhood initiatives like you guys are doing, passing out materials and engaging on, online. Let me close with this. can't believe I'm almost under time. This is amazing. God bless you all. If you... Oh, so good. Best part. I've known people that come to faith because of this. See? Reminding me. Now I'm going to go over. It's her fault, Pastor Joe. All right. So red ribbon or white ribbon? The rabbis tell us that a few things happened on the Day of Atonement, okay? When the high priest was brought the two goats, he would cast lots for the goats. The, lo the, the lot for the scapegoat always fell on the right hand. And that red ribbon would turn white when God accepted the sacrifice and atonement was made for all the people. But the rabbis also record this. So this is not from a Christian source. This is a rabbinical source. The rabbis say that 40 years prior to the destruction of the temple, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. 40 years prior is 30 AD, roughly the time Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. A few things started going wrong. And it happened for 40 years until Rome destroyed the temple. Number one, the lot stopped falling in the right hand, always fell in the left hand. Lots are kind of like drawing straws. Sort of think that way. Number two, one of the candles in the menorah in the temple complex would not stay lit. For 40 years, they kept relighting this thing and it would go out. These lights were supposed to be burning always. Number three, the doors of the temple would open on their own and would not stay shut repeatedly for 40. I mean, can you imagine being one of the priests and me going like, and just, they wouldn't stay closed. Do you remember what happened when uh, Jesus was crucified to the veil of the temple? It was torn in two. Here's the last thing. The red ribbon stopped turning white. These are not Christians saying this, by the way. I think all of those things happened for a reason. Because the high priest had come. He had made a time. I mean, listen, if you want an understanding about that, look in chapters 9 and 10 of the book of Hebrews. It says that Jesus didn't need to go into the holy place made of human hands, the temple. He went directly into the throne room of God. And this high priest didn't have to make atonement for himself before he could make atonement for the people. Why? Because Jesus was sinless. He didn't need to. I mean, it's incredible. Read uh, Hebrews 9 and 10. It is really, truly the backdrop of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. 
You could take this out. I just want to bring this to your attention. There's probably on a seat next to you. I just want to do an ancient Jewish tradition with you. Okay? I want you to open it up for me. And there's a perforated slip on the end. On the count of three, we're going to do the ancient Jewish tradition of the tear-off. Okay? It's the tear-off. One, two, three. Very good. You're all Jewish now. Now circumcision. You know, they don't laugh at that in Lutheran churches. I don't, I don't know why. Um, this is a very important uh, thing for us. Number one, you can take this home if you want to learn more about our organization. We've been around for over 100 years. Our goal is to reach Jewish people with the gospel. Um, number two, put this in, you know, put it in your Bible. It's a bookmark now. It'll remind you to pray for my family. Unfortunately, Talia, the baby, she's not in this picture, though. Um, so this is for you to keep. Put it on your fridge or put it in your Bible. Um, but that slip is also really important to us. On one side, you can put your name, and I would encourage you to start filling out your name. That way we can update you regularly. And some of you probably already receive our updates since I was here before. Um, but we like to tell you how you can pray. So I'll, I, you know, if you were receiving it this month, you might hear about a woman, this woman who has been very, very challenging, but who the Lord is working uh, in me a lot to have patience and to be kind and to be gracious, because I would have cut her off normally <laughs> already. Um, I need your prayers because when you pray, people come to faith. Uh, when you pray, our ministry is blessed. Um, on the other side of that, you can write in some, maybe some Jewish people that you might know that we can either reach out to or pray with you about, or you can introduce us to. Um, we want to be your ambassadors to the Jewish people. Um, also, at the bottom of the, the first side, there's a way that you can give. It's not uh, you know, mandatory or anything. Um, but if you would like to give with a gift, we would really appreciate that because we can only do the work we do because we are support-raised missionaries uh, from like-minded churches and individuals like yourself. One-time gift or um, maybe a regular gift would be wonderful. We accept cash, check, credit card, kids with good teeth. So, and on a good note. I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to come and share my heart and my burden with you. And um, let me pray. Once again, Father in heaven, we thank you that you came down, that you dwelled among us, and that we got a glimpse of who you are so that we could put our faith in you and be with you even better in the world to come. Father, until that time comes, Lord, you say, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. And Lord, as we are between the spring and fall holidays, Lord, I understand that we are in the middle of the harvest. So help us to be good laborers. Help us to support those who are laboring so that more and more people can come into your kingdom before the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And Father, before that happens also, I ask that you would bring more and more Jewish people to a saving knowledge of their Messiah, the same Messiah that the people in this room understand. And Father, if there is somebody in this room that does not know you, who does not recognize their need for salvation because of what your son did, please uh, take their heart in your hands so that they know that you absolutely adore them and love them and that you died for them so that they might live with you. And let that resurrection be a promise that they will live with you. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen.